That's it. Run, run, run. Those who are in the loo, uh, we're coming back. That's good. Um, Gab, why don't you come up? Uh, why don't we give Gab a big King's Church welcome? Yeah. Um, I just want to share a couple of things while you're grabbing your seats real quick. But just to say, Gav um, was actually in my youth group. Uh, I was his I youth, youth leader for a, for a year. Was that right? It's two years. Fault. Two years, I think, yeah. It's your, my <laughs> fault. Um, and uh, so I'd like to think I'm responsible for all the good in him. Uh, none of the bad. Take none of the blame. Uh, but I, I just remember this one night. Uh, we were together and I was uh, we were in the youth group of the Methodist Church in Darlington. And uh, after you've... Uh, yeah, after you've talked badly about them, know, but we're in a Methodist sorry, youth group. And, um, and uh, I just remember this night just praying for Gavin, just seeing the Father's love for him. And uh, it was such a powerful moment for me just to see that in his life. And, um, and it's just such a pleasure to see Gav today and just have him as a brother here. Um, we love the guys in uh, Jubilee Teesside. It's just so good to have you here. So I want to pray for him real quick <clears throat> and uh, just encourage you to pray as well. Reach out a hand to him. It's an active thing. And um, Lord, we're just going to pray for your boldness and your confidence yep. to be on Gav. Yes. As, he, as you fill him with your spirit, Lord, uh, help him to know that although he doesn't call this place home anymore, mm. uh, Lord, he is, he is more than at home here with his yes. brothers and sisters Thank in Christ. Lord. And we, we love him. We're excited yeah. to hear from him. But, Lord, we're more excited about what you have to say through That's him. Right. Uh, right. So, Lord, uh, just come and bless him. Bless Haley. Yeah. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. I love the three-minute break idea in the middle of the service. Um, I'm a bit scared as a preacher, though, because sometimes people disappear if they don't like the guy who's speaking. Is it a good chance to get out and uh, not come back? I'm seeing the same similar numbers, though, so that's all right. Um, thank you, Mike. It's good to be back. I know I don't call this place home, but I am a proper Darlow lad, so really I am. I am coming home today. So thank you so much for welcoming me. And... Uh, I would love to share more and tell you a little bit more, but I've got to get on with the passage this morning because this is a meaty, meaty passage. Let me tell you that. Um, do you know in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about moving from milk to meat and getting into some solid teaching? Well, this passage here is a proper bit of like ribeye steak. Like this is meaty this morning. We could have had four or five sermons out of this passage. So I need to get on because uh, if not, we'll be here all day. And we're driving to London straight after this, so I can see Hayley looking at a watch already, saying, uh, we've got to get on the road, so uh, let me get on with it. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Colossians 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 12. It should be on the screen, perfect. So, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. What a passage, eh? 
So listen, our passage this morning starts with the word, therefore. All right, and one good bit of advice I was given when I learned to start preaching is, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to work out what it is. Therefore, yes, someone's, uh, yeah, Paul knows. <laughs> that's, a bit, that's one for free at the start of the sermon straight away. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to work out what it is therefore. See, the passage right before this one, as you heard wonderfully from Mike last week, talked about how life was before. Previously, you lived like this. You had these characteristics. You behaved in this way. And then it goes on and it says, therefore, because you've been made new in Christ, you now have these characteristics, okay? So it's saying before you lived like this, this was what was true of you before, but now you're a Christian, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Okay, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. This is a passage talking about the result of the truth that we are made new in Christ. All right? And Mike's helpfully given me the title this morning, Who You Are. I think last week you had Who You Were. This week we've got Who You Are. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives a really helpful strategy for living as a Christian a strategy for our new life in Christ. Because we need to remember that when we allow Jesus into our lives, when we become Christians, we literally become new creations, don't we? The old is gone and the new is here. So Paul gives us a helpful three-part strategy. We're going to have three parts this morning. There could have been five or six or seven, but I'm going to limit it to three so you can get home for your Sunday dinner, Okay. So first of all, he says, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the first part of our strategy as Christians is to get dressed, all right? That's our first bit of advice. You're allowed to laugh at me, by the way. We don't have to be polite, okay? The first part of our strategy is to get dressed. Have you ever heard that quote which says, the clothes make the man? Have you ever heard that? Well, it's, it's uh, said by a famous guy called Mark Twain, and he says, clothes make the man. But he goes on to say, naked people have little or no influence on society. All right, that's fair enough, isn't it? Get dressed this morning. That's what Paul's saying, get dressed. No, no. What Paul's saying is, he's saying as Christians, we need to look different. We wear a new set of spiritual clothes when we're born again, all right? We used to act and dress in one way, but now we act and dress in another. There'll be fruit in our lives when we're transformed by Jesus. See, quite often we call ourselves new creations, but we keep living like old creations, don't we? We say that we're born again, but we don't live in a way that reflects that. My friend Derek likens it to having a bath and getting washed clean, but then spending your life sat in the dirty bath water. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense, but that's how we do as Christians sometimes, don't we? We don't live like we're new creations. So we say, don't act like you acted before. Act in a new way. Be marked by new characteristics. So we're going to run through a few of them. So the first one is compassion. Everyone shout compassion for me. Yes, okay, I've nicked that off. Mike, I heard him do it last week. So everyone say compassion. 
Okay, brilliant. Listen, we are to be people who are compassionate, okay? One of the marks of us as Christians is that we need to care for others, all right? You know, as I shared earlier, um, at Jubilee, we've just got this new building in one of the most deprived areas of Stockton. And we're on Yarm Road, and Yarm Road is famous because it's the area where the sex workers in Stockton patrol up and down. That's what it's famous for in Stockton. And outside our church is the main place where these ladies work. And it's heartbreaking. Do you know what's really encouraged me is, since we've moved into this building just over a year ago, I've seen compassion from guys in Jubilee. It's not like they've shooed these ladies away, like, oh, what are you doing? Get away, you can't be doing this outside of church. It's not like there's been judgment. Actually, these ladies are sick of being invited to church. They're sick. Every time someone walks in, they're like, I've already been invited, don't ask me again. People bring them cups of tea. People offer to pray with them, give them dignity, chat to them, make sure that they're safe. Why? Because as Christians, we're to be marked out by our compassion. We care for others. Our heart should literally break for those who don't know Jesus. We see people acting in a way that doesn't glorify God. Our hearts should break for them because we want them to know his love. Listen, at King's, you guys model this in an amazing way. Look at the compassion that you show day to day from this building through the food bank, through the furniture scheme, through the other bits and pieces that I don't even know about. You guys are modeling what it means to show compassion. So keep doing it. Let me encourage you, keep doing it. So that's the first thing we put on compassion. The second thing we're to be clothed with is kindness. Everybody say kindness. kindness. Absolutely, now you're warmed up, okay. Now, society doesn't like kindness, does it? Quite often we get kindness confused with weakness or weirdness. Do you know, last week I was in Aldi and uh, I had a full trolley and the lady behind me just had a basket. So I said, oh, you can go in front of me, that's fine. And she looked at me like I had two heads. And she was like, no, thank you, stay behind me. In fact, I think she went to another till. She's like, oh, this is weird, or trying to get me to go in front of him. People don't get kindness, do they, quite often in our society. But Paul is clear here in this passage one of the marks of a new life in Christ is to be kind. We're to be people who are kind. And what might that look like in reality? Well, one of the ways that kindness can show itself is how you reach out to others. Let me tell you, quite often we get discouraged when it comes to reaching out because sometimes we face hostility, don't we? You might be reaching out to a friend or a family member or a co-worker and sometimes you face hostility and it puts you off. Has anyone ever faced that before? You invite them to church and they say, no, no, no. Or maybe they question some of your beliefs. Well, let me tell you, I heard this quote once that said, just as the sun melts the ice, kindness melts hostility. Listen, this friend or family member who's showing you hostility, rather than giving up and stopping sharing with them, you show them kindness. Rather than putting your own barriers up, you show them kindness. You listen to their point of view, even if you know it's different to yours. You chat to them, you give them your time, 
Because as Paul says, as Christians, we are to be marked by our kindness. We go out of our way to show kindness to others. Listen, maybe you're facing hardship and have a difficult situation at the moment. Let me tell you, kindness can go a long, long way towards resolving that. As Christians, we're to be people who are kind. Okay, what have we got? We've got compassion, we've got kindness. Next one we've got is humility. Everyone shout humility while I have a drink. You're going to have to shout it twice because I need a long drink. Okay, thank you. Listen, this again is a tough one. See, humility is really, really important. And let me tell you, being humble isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Do you get that? It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Being humble is important. Christians in the workplace, Christians in the world should be the most humble people. We don't mind putting others first. We don't mind being in the background. And it's not because we're worthless and we see ourselves as worthless, but it's actually the complete opposite of that because we know our worth in God. We know how God sees us and no glory, no riches, no honor from the world can be better, can surpass what God says about us. So because of that, we don't mind being humble. Just this week, I saw a tweet from the recent New Frontiers Festival. New Frontiers is a family of churches that we all belong to, and it should be on the screen there. They had a a conference in, in Cyprus recently, and this sums up humility for me. It says the teaching from the New Frontiers Cyprus conference was remarkable. But even more remarkable for me was watching those I expected to preach who did not. Terry Virgo, Andrew Wilson, Toppy Collioso, usually headlining preachers who seamlessly took the role of cheerleaders to those who did. That's humility, isn't it? These are guys used to speaking in front of thousands of people. They sit back and they cheerlead for those going ahead of them. That's humility, isn't it? This is what we need to show as Christians. It isn't about us. As we go into our day-to-day lives, we do it with humility. We clothe ourselves with humility. And the reason that we're humble is because we know the difference God's made in our lives. We know that without God, we'd be nowhere. A true understanding of our state without Jesus leads to humility. Okay, a couple more. Next, put on gentleness. I'm not going to get you to say it. You bother that now, aren't you? Put on gentleness. Or as uh, one person saying it. Or as some translations put it, meekness. Listen, as Christians, we're to be marked out by our gentleness. And let me tell you, gentle people are just powerful people under God's control. All right? Gentle people are powerful people under God's control. People get gentle and weak mixed up, but they're completely different. Gentle people know that surrendering to God is the right way. Their power comes from God, not for themselves, so they can be gentle. Our strength is found in the Lord. And because of that, we can show gentleness. We can be gentle people. Let me ask you, who, anyone know, who was described as the most gentle or meek person in Scripture? It's not Jesus. Anyone know? In the Bible, 
Moses, someone said Moses. Moses is right. It says in the book of Numbers that Moses is the most meek, most gentle person in history. Just think about how powerful Moses was. Moses led the whole Israelite people into freedom, didn't he? He stood up to the Pharaoh. He took no nonsense. He was a powerful, powerful man. But the reason that he was powerful was because he was under God's control. God could use him. He was a powerful man, but he was gentle because he was under God's control. He knew that his power came from God. It's meant to be gentle people. Okay, last one is patience. Anyone here patient? (laughs) I thought I was patient, and then I had kids, and now I know that I'm not. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that. Listen, patience is important because we reflect Christ through our patience, don't we? We reflect our new identities by being patient. And that might be showing patience to other people in the church. When people make mistakes, not being quick to judge them, forgiving them, giving them chance after chance. It might be showing patience in the workplace or with a, with a family member. Being patient is about more than just taking a deep breath and counting to five, isn't it? Being patient is a heart thing. It's about making a decision to know that even though this person's going to let you down, you're going to give them your time. You're going to show them love. Or when it comes to a situation in your life, it's knowing that even though you're not going to have any control over the situation, it's not going to be done in your timing, you still give it to God. Being patient is a heart thing. So that's the first strategy Paul gives. He says, get dressed, put on a new set of behaviors. But notice what he says just after that in the passage. See, he talks about behaving in a new way. He talks about our new characteristics. But then he seamlessly goes on to talking about forgiveness. Did you see that? He talks about new characteristics, but then he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. This is important. He's listed the different ways that we should behave as Christians. And then as part of that, he's saying we need to forgive. Listen, we don't like talking about forgiveness in the church, do we? It's, it's painful. It's hard. I know that. A big part of my personal testimony was forgiveness. I needed to forgive my dad who walked out on me when I was little. And my stepdad who abused us physically and worse. I knew that forgiving these guys would make a difference. And with the help of Jesus, and indeed many of you guys in King's Church, I was able to forgive these guys when I became a Christian. And it changed my life. Forgiveness is really, really important. It's a big deal and it's serious. Listen, unforgiveness can be described as drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. Or as Cory Ten Boom famously says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that prisoner was you. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's releasing. It's vital. Let me tell you, in life, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Any relationship that you have in life is going to require forgiveness. People are going to let you down. People are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. 
People are going to fail to meet your standards. And we need to keep forgiving again and again and again. Because if not, you'll get to the end of your life and you'll have no meaningful relationships. you just have a pile of rubble next to you of all of the breakdown because you were unable to forgive. Listen, I'm being harsh, but that's because this is important. And you know what? It goes for the church as well. Paul was writing to the church here. He was writing to Christians. We need to go on forgiving, especially in the church. Do you remember that famous passage? Jesus is teaching his disciples and Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not not seven times, but 77 times. You keep on forgiving them again and again and again. We need to keep on forgiving in the church. You need to keep on forgiving each other. You need to be mindful when issues arise among you and be quick to resolve them. Paul's saying that we can't live as brothers and sisters in the church if we don't forgive. Look, I don't want to dwell on this too long this morning, but if, if unforgiveness is an issue for you today, especially with people in the church with other Christians, can I encourage you, please don't go home today without praying or talking to someone about it. Don't carry around unforgiveness with you. Set yourself free this morning, as Corey Ten Boom said. Okay, so that was the first, and you'll be pleased to know, longest part of the strategy. Get dressed. The second part is of the strategy that Paul describes is to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Joe, this is a big one as well. I told you this was a meaty passage. The Bible talks a lot about peace, doesn't it? Peace that surpasses understanding. See, one of the things about being a Christian is to have a sense of peace in our lives. It's to be people who are marked out by peace. That doesn't mean we won't have any problems. It doesn't mean that life's plain sailing. It doesn't mean that you become a Christian and everything's better instantly. It just means that you acknowledge someone else is in control in the midst of difficulty, and you get your peace from that. I know for a fact this is a tough one. In our culture, we are people who are missing peace, aren't we? If we look around us, levels of anxiety are an all-time high. You just need to scroll through social media or look at the news, and you're bombarded with things that make you feel anxious with things that rob you of your peace. And this is a serious issue. I think having a lack of peace can spiral into worse things. See, you lose your peace, and then suddenly you lose your joy. And then you lose your joy, and suddenly you lose your motivation to be around others. And then you lose your motivation, you stop coming to church, you stop being around other believers. And then you do that, and you stop reading your Bible, and you stop doing that, and you start questioning your faith, you start having doubts. And eventually, the enemy's won, and you're no longer walking with God. All stemming from a lack of peace. We see it all the time in the church. Just this week, I was chatting and praying with a guy who, he stopped coming to church. He disconnected completely, and it all comes down to having a sense of anxiety 
due to an unresolved issue with someone in the church. It's affecting his peace. He's lost that peace and now he's disconnected completely. This is common. But listen, as I've said a few times, this passage talks about our new identity as Christians. It talks about who we are now. And part of that is that we are people who let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And this is more important than ever for us to hear in this culture, in this society. See, the world will tell us that our default culture is to worry. We go through life worrying. But as Christians, we need to push back against that culture. We need to push back against the ways of the world. We need to reflect something different. We're not people defined by worry. We're people defined by Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Just to say as well, by the way, this sense of peace isn't just feeling calm. It's not just, ah, I'm peaceful. It's not like being on holiday sitting by a pool. Peace is deeper than that. This is the peace of Christ, as it describes in Philippians 4. We can have peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace of Christ emanates every part of our lives. It isn't just based on a situation. We don't have peace based on how we're feeling. It's much deeper than that. It's peace that almost doesn't make sense. I've got all this going on in my life. How can I feel peace? That's the peace of Christ. Who needs some peace this morning? Who's feeling that? I feel like a few people need that. Listen, if you're in the midst of a storm this morning, if you're hearing noise all around you, if life is difficult, can I encourage you to remember that story in the Gospels? You know of Jesus calming the storm. You might know the story that they're out in a boat and the wind and the waves are battering the boat and the disciples are panicking and they're saying, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? You know, we're going to die, we're going to drown. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep in the boat. He wakes up and he calms the storm because he's asleep knowing that he is fully in control. Jesus can sleep in the midst of the storm knowing that he is fully in control. And let me tell you, whatever you're going through this morning, Jesus is fully in control. Take heart from the one who is peace in the midst of difficulty. You know what the other thing to say about peace is, peace isn't just in the midst of difficulties either. We sometimes think about peace and think it's a response to tragedy, but it's not. Peace is something that God gives us for our day-to-day. We can go through life, we can be guided by God in our day-to-day decisions. And one of the ways he does that is by giving us peace. Do you know, just last year in Jubilee, we sent one of our leaders, one of our elders, uh, off to another country to lead a church in the Middle East. And it was like a, such a difficult decision to make because there was four of us on a team We were really a tight-knit team, we were a tight-knit bunch. And this was a key family in the church. This was an Iranian guy who headed up all of our international ministry. This was like a brother. Personally, for me, hey, this was like our best friends in the church. They had kids similar age to us. The idea of them leaving was like, that can't happen. But you know, we prayed about it. 
as a team and as a church and we got a sense of peace. It made no sense. It was painful, but we knew that it was the right thing. We seeked God on that decision and we knew it was the right thing. God can give you peace in your day-to-day. If you've got a decision to make, if you've got a situation that you're looking for wisdom in, pray and ask God to give you peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Okay, one more stage to go. So we've had the first two, the last one. Let me have some more water. You know, I'm used to being in this cold old Methodist church building, which is freezing. So we have to preach in scarves and coats and stuff at at Teesside, so I'm hot now. That's why I need lots of water. (laughs) Okay, the third part of this strategy. Sorry. The song guys are mad at me, I can see. (laughs) The third part of the strategy is to be thankful, all right? I don't think we do this enough. I don't think we're thankful enough in the church, are we? You know, some of the best prayers that I know are the people who just say thank you. We got this lady in Jubilee, an old lady. She's called Mariama. She's about, about this big. She, she's, you know, like little old ladies. Um, she's an old Indian lady, and she is literally the most thankful person that I've ever met. She's an absolute prayer warrior, but most of the time, she only prays thank you. Like, you look at her and you're like, for such a little lady, you are, you know, you're a prayer warrior, but most of your prayers are just thank you. Like, we'll be in prayer meetings and she'll take 20 minutes just saying thank you to God for a million things. And it doesn't seem boring, it seems real. It's like, wow, you've got something that I haven't got. Listen, I'm not sure anyone else can be like the lovely Mariama. She's, she's unique, but we can all learn to say thank you more, can't we? We can all learn to recount the things that God has done in our lives. It's something that we can all get better at. Like, look at this church, for example, okay? Just give me a show of hands. Who was in, in Kings 15 years ago? Okay, that's when I first joined Kings 15 years ago. Just a few of you. If I'd said to you 15 years ago, these are some of the things that God is going to do in your church, you wouldn't have believed it, would you? Some of the people's lives are going to be transformed. Some of the ministries are going to be started. Some of the, um, the influence you were going to have on this town and on this region. You wouldn't believe me, even with the biggest amount of faith ever. God has done amazing things in this church. Just look, look around you. God's done amazing things in this church. Who would have believed you? First time I walked in, this was a, an old warehouse. It was weird. We used to be in the back room, squeezing and having teas and coffees. And it was weird. Look what God's done. We can get better at saying thank you to God. And you know, this is a really important point. In in, in Romans 1, when Paul is describing a list of sinfulness, okay, he's, he's going through and describing a list of sins. One of the first points he makes in verse 21, he's listing all these sins. One of the first things he says is a lack of thankfulness. You might have even missed it in your Bible. But failing to acknowledge God failing to be thankful, Paul saying is actually a sinful attitude. We don't often see it as sin. We see it as a bit ungrateful and a bit rude. But it's actually a sinful attitude. Failing to give thanks to God is to forget the goodness of God. It's to neglect the fact that at his core, God is overflowing with kindness and generosity. It's forgetting that every good gift comes from him. Being uh, being thankful is foundational to our relationship with God because failing to be thankful is to have an incorrect view of who God is. 
Thankfulness is really, really important. But you know what? It's also good for us. Being thankful is also really good for us. One of the ways to really build your faith is to take the time to recount what God has done in your life. When you meet together, share stories about what God's done. Share stories about the victories that you've seen. It builds our faith. Let me ask you, what are you thanking God for at the minute? What are you giving God glory for at the minute? This passage is all about who we are now, and we are thankful people. Before we were inward looking, we looked at our own desires, we looked at our own achievements, we looked at our own lives, now we look at God's. And we say, look at what God's done. Saying thank you is so important. So we have a three-part strategy for what it means to live as a new creation. I could have said so much more from this passage. Maybe in your small groups this week, you can discuss a bit more. We could have talked about being people who love the word of God. We could have talked about being people who are ruled by, uh, by love. We could have talked about being representatives of Christ. There's loads we could have talked about. But to answer the question, what are we like now? Or are people who are clothed different? We're countercultural, we stand out. We're people who let peace rule, and we're thankful people. This is who we are now. Listen, for me, I'm nearly done, but this passage ends in the most perfect way because on the surface, you can look at this as a list of things to do. It can require a lot of doing, like you must act in a different way. You must be thankful. You must have peace. You must read your Bible. I want to make something clear to you just as we finish. This passage isn't about doing. This passage is about being. All right? This isn't about what we need to do as followers of Jesus. This is about who we are as followers of Jesus. It's unchangeable. Notice how Paul started our passage this morning. It said, as God's chosen people, dearly loved. That's how this starts. It starts from a place of security in our identity as people who are loved. First and foremost, what defines us? Love. Full stop. Everything else comes out of that. That's the unchangeable reality. As God's children, we are loved. Do you know, I think about my own kids, and first and foremost, they're loved. Before they do anything well, before they behave when they behave, before they um, do anything to make me proud, they're loved first and foremost, and that is unchangeable. That's how it is with God. So this passage starts with a place of love, but then ends with a lovely verse that says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, that's what takes us from being about having a tick a load of boxes to genuinely being people who live right for Jesus. See, it's always been the issue of religion, hasn't it? Religion says you must do X, Y, and Z, and your standing on God depends on it. But relationship with Jesus is different. It says you're loved, full stop. And out of that love, you do everything in the name of Jesus. The natural response to being loved is that you want to do everything for him. Because we're so thankful that he loves us, we're so thankful for the change that he's made. We will inevitably want to live a life that is pleasing to him. So when we do that, we'll bring honor to God in every aspect of our daily lives. 
That means you won't have to work hard to be patient or kind or humble. That'll be the natural outworking of everything being about Jesus. Do you get that? This is the key to all of this. Who we are now is people who fix our gaze and our attention on Jesus with every part of our lives. And nothing can change that. If I get the band back up, please. Um, I want to end this morning by just encouraging us to do just that to fix our attention on Jesus first and foremost. Because through his blood, through his sacrifice, and through his uh, dying on the cross and raising and defeat in death, we can be called new creations. And we can walk in that truth as we've looked at today. And when we're walking in that truth, we don't fix our eyes on our situation or on our performance or on anything to do with us. Our gaze is well and truly on Jesus. I would encourage us to do that this morning. Let me remind you of some famous lyrics of an old hymn written in 1918. It says this, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's how we end this morning. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we remind ourselves that it well and truly is all about him. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for us and then I think we'll worship. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can say well and truly that we are new creations. We can say that our old life is gone and then we've got a new life found in you. And I want to pray this morning as we end, Lord, would we, uh, would we be reminded to fix our eyes on you? Because it all comes from you, Lord. Our new identity comes from you. Our new way of living comes from you. We couldn't do anything to earn it, Lord. It's all your wonderful, glorious gift to us. So we choose to do that this morning. We choose to fix our gaze on you. Lord, if we've been looking at our situations, we choose now to fix our eyes on you. Lord, if we've been walking with our heads down, we choose to lift them up right now and fix our eyes on you. Because when we do that, Lord, the things of this world will become dim in comparison to your glory and your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus.